Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, before we get the show started, I wanted to let you know we are giving away a bunch of brand new black magic gear. Yeah, cameras, switchers, DaVinci Resolve licenses, a bunch of awesome stuff. So stay tuned to learn how you can enter to win free gear from black magic. And we're going to tell you all about it later on in this episode. Now cue the music. Hello and welcome to the 84th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, storytelling, and directing. I'm Matt Enlow. And I'm Oren Kaplan, and today we have Morgan Dameron on. Morgan Dameron, who we will, at the very end of the podcast, find out was the inspiration for Poe Dameron. Yeah, Poe Dameron. Yeah. Poe Dameron, the character on Star Wars. Because uh, Morgan not only is a director that just finished a feature, uh, which is in theaters right now, and is coming out in a few weeks on digital, but she also directs branded content, and she also worked with J.J. Abrams on Star Wars and Star Trek and a bunch of other things. She was his assistant for how many years? Seems like a lot. I think we'll find out. Um, But yeah, I think she's got a ton of great insight in both making your first feature and also talking about how to transition from that uh, entry-level position in Hollywood and turning that into a directing career. So uh, if you are entry-level or are thinking about being entry-level or were once upon a time entry-level, this podcast is for you. But first, uh, Oren, what have you been working on lately? Well, Matt, thanks for asking. I've been, uh, I have a shoot tomorrow doing mm-hmm. a I mean, I call it three commercials. They're three 30-second videos. Of course, the uh, company, the agency I'm working with is claiming they're not commercials because I think it's like cool to say something's not a commercial right now, but in reality, they are commercials. for. But you're making three 30-second things that sell a product and have a sales card at the end of them? Yes, and there will be a 15-second cut down, mm-hmm. and every note from the client has been put more of the product into the commercial. Sounds like a commercial to me. I won't mention the product, but there's like a SNL alum playing in it, and it's a comedy, and it should be fun and crazy, and we're shooting in Chatsworth, California, and it will be probably about 120 degrees. It will be so hot. We're in the middle of a heat wave. I was actually curious. Have you ever shot in a home where the sound person let you keep the air conditioning on? Uh, I think once or twice, I feel like, honestly, it's worth it to be like, hey, there's going to be music through this whole thing. We're keeping the air conditioning on. Right. Like, damn it. I've never, ever had a shoot ruined by an air conditioner. So let me breathe. Yeah, please, please. (laughs) I mean, yes, I I know sometimes air conditioners are loud and I appreciate the sound person helping us out. But uh, 
I don't know. I'm going to insist the air conditioner stays on. Um, but the more interesting thing that happened is that the project that I spoke about a lot on this podcast, Converse, I, I mentioned yeah. Converse, right? Yeah, I think so. Uh, is was officially killed <laughs> um, by the company. So all that time, effort, money, we built so many insane props. We had an amazing prosthetic leg. Yeah, those spots were good, man. We did. Thank you. We did a lot of really, really fun things. And it just goes to show you that nothing is for sure. I used to say I don't believe it's for real until I'm on set. But now uh, I just never believe it's for real, I guess, is the lesson <laughs> yeah. to take. But the cool thing is they're going to let us finish three of the spots. Um, and I'm going to try to cut them actually down to 30 seconds. Oh, cool. Because they were 60 seconds originally. And uh, we can use them like for our reels and things. They won't do the media buy. They're not going to be all over, mm-hmm. you know, TV or the internet or anything. But it, you're not going to be blacklisted if they find out that you've been using them on your reel or anything. Right. And we're, we have the budget to send them through color and sound oh, and nice. everything. Yeah, good on that. And yep. I'm even going to, like, add some legal language at the bottom just to make them look like the real deal. Well done. Cool. I'm sorry about that, but uh, I can't wait for people to see the finished product, even if uh, they're just watching them because they want to and... It's free advertising for Converse. Yeah, me too. And this, and I officially start with this new production company this week, um, who was very excited about those commercials. But uh, they, I think, hopefully, they can still kind of show them to people and show them with my reel. But this new production company I'm starting with—it's the first one that's doing like a press release. They do a press release every time they sign a new client, or not? Sorry, every time they sign a new director, just kind of introducing them to the world. And saying, hey, this director is going to work with us. Have you ever been involved in a a company like that? Uh, I have not been involved in a a company like that, no. There was, well, I take it back, actually. When um, a separate entity launched, um, I was referenced in the press release and was, like, in Variety and a couple other places. But um, it was my name with a few other directors as well. You know, oh, so cool. I, I got name checked though, which was nice. Yeah, I'm really interested to see if it has any impact at all. You know, I mean, the the fun thing about ads in particular is that, like movies and stuff, there's a few specific publications that actually really care. And so, like, even though your grandma isn't going to read about it in the uh, Orange County Register, Orange County Register, the people who care about advertising will read about it in Ad Age. And that's, you know, like variety, it's been a thing that people have cared about for a long time. So Right. I have no doubt that the right people will see it. I just don't know if it, like, moves the needle. But I guess if if you think that a lot of this business is just about exposure and as Morgan, you'll hear, talks about it, like, uh, creating impressions. Like, oh, I remember that name and now their name is in front of me. So, like, if, if you believe that that's helpful, I guess... I think also if you're like, you know, I'm an executive and I'm considering Orin for Orin Kaplan for a job and I'm like, oh, what's this kid done? I'm going to Google your name because I don't know what your actual URL is for your website. Right. And if I see search results that are like Orin Kaplan at age, that's valuable. Well, speaking of personal websites, uh, I'd love to transition into what you've been working on lately because turns out... That you made the same, kind of, a similar mistake well, to what I mistake. So, uh, mm, I'd say less worse. Oh, I don't, uh, well, let's hear we'll the let, mistake. We'll let the listeners decide. So, um, uh, avid listeners will remember that, uh, Oren on his website hadn't properly forwarded 
his contact form to his actual email address. It wasn't just my contact form. It was my entire email address that was listed there did not go to me. Did not go to you. So you found a treasure trove of awesome emails that you've missed out on. Yep. Um, And so yesterday, a producer called me out, or Facebook messaged me and was like, hey, blah, blah, blah. And um, I ended up talking to him on the phone. And he was like, yo, we looked at your website your email, your contact information, your email address isn't on your website. And I was like, yes, it is. And he was like, no, it's not. That's why I had to Facebook message you. Wait, is there no contact page? Isn't that like the default? I like had that? a contact page and I have an about page. And when I redesigned my site, I decided to streamline them into one thing, but accidentally cut out my email and contact information. So it's mm-hmm. just about. And I was like, what are you talking about? And lo and behold, I literally did not have a way to contact me on my website. I was mortified, but boy, it was pretty funny also. (laughs) The bummer is that I will never know what I missed out on. Right. I guess I think mine's a bigger bummer because people actually thought they were sending me things Mm -hmm. and then I wasn't responding. Sure. Whereas like if they really wanted to, it, it, it creates a larger barrier of contacting me. Like someone has to go out of their way to like... IMDB Pro me where I'll, there is contact information for my managers and stuff like that or like Facebooking me or finding a, a reference who basically can intro us. Yeah, pretty funny. Um, on a similar topic of Matt and Low Gaffs, I think we should have talked about um, I had a meeting today and uh, you know it went great. I would talk to people about all this stuff. Um, but what um, kind of meeting? Like you were up for a job? I was up for a job. Yeah, I was up for a job. I'm uh, directing assignment on a new series um, that I'm right for, and you know, fingers crossed, I get. But um, we've talked before about how the question that I kind of never really nail is the um, "What do you like?" Oh, like what are you watching right now? Is a version of it, or what's your favorite movie? Is a version of it. It's yeah. really just like tell us about your sensibilities. Right. And, and this time I kind of like, you know, I did an okay job on it, but like, you know, it, it was a comedy and I was like, well, right now I'm watching Big Little Lies. So it's not a strong intro, but I recovered from it. But the other question that you'll always get that I did an okay job on, but I think is worth talking about is, um, why do you want this job? Because, and the real answer is cause it's a job and I like to work and I like money. Right. And also, uh, it sounds fun, and I also connect to it creatively. But they really want to hear the, like, the personal connection, right? Which we talk about all the time. I put together all of the different ways in which I was right for the job on other levels. You know, this is how I can make things better. This is what I think you guys are doing right. This is what I would improve on. It's a second season, so there's, like, um, context to kind of discuss everything in. But the, like, why do I want to do it part was a curveball. But don't we know the answer? Because I like to work? No. I mean, we talked about this yesterday because you think it would be a great... It would be uh, good for my career. Yeah, yeah. That it would be good for your career. And I and that it would be a great sample to show people and that it would be funny and you'd be proud of it and that you would make connections with the cast and crew that you... Really that, like. Yeah. Yeah. They seem they're, that they're going places and you'd love to be part of that crew. All of which I said. And I kind of, I you know, I curbed it as like, I've got two things because I've thought about it. I said, you know, the careerist part of me is like the, like all the stuff that you just cited. Um, and then also I talked about what the creative did appeal to me. What about the creative appeal to me? 
Um, but I, yeah, I think that it's interesting because sometimes a showrunner really wants you to just be an artiste with them and like just talk about why you dig the uh, characters and the world and the worldview and the philosophy. And sometimes they want you to be a mechanic and an executor and a pragmatist. And you never know what job you're interviewing for when you first sit down for those meetings, which is interesting, you know? Right. I mean, I guess I would, the counter argument to that would be that they don't really care what your answer is to either one of these questions, what you're watching, or but they kind of want to get a sense of who you are, what you're into, how you talk, what mm-hmm. things you focus on. Like, are you going to talk about opportunities for cool performance, or are you going to talk about, like, Cool the bigger picture yeah. in your life, or, yeah. or this project, or like being excited about the crew, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's less of like a test where there's a right and wrong answer, and sure. more of a test of like what kind of thing you care about. Right? It, it's all just an excuse for you to show what you're excited about. That's that's all of those interviews. That's always the right. thing, and hopefully you're excited about it. Right, right, right for sure. Um, and yeah, it's pretty darn hard to fake that stuff. So like, I can tell you the things, the wrong things to say in those situations. Sure, I'm, people would love to hear. Which I think this is a little bit spitballing here, but I think if you say, "Well, I've done a lot of projects really similar to this, and like I've seen what's gone wrong with those, and like I want to do it right here," like I think just starting to talk about other stuff or like yeah, or in it's a between this way. and another project, and you know, I think this one just pays mm-hmm. a little more. Like yeah, yeah. basically. Starting to to explain why. Well, it's funny because the question, one of the questions, is like, why do you want this job? But I think the like when you're in an interview, it's more about why you're gonna support the project as opposed mm-hmm. to why the project is gonna bring stuff to you, right? Right, right. And yeah, you kind of need to show that you're a true believer, you know. And I don't, I don't know about you, but I'm like really bad at lying about that stuff. Like, if uh, it's, I'm, it's up, not worth it either, you know. Yeah, if I'm up for a job where I'm like, yeah, I don't know, this seems really hard, or it's like we could do it, but I think like I, I don't know, I, I can never be like, I love this when I think it's really yeah, bad. Yeah, yeah, people can smell that. So like, you know, I think it's it's always worth it to be honest about the things that you like about a thing, you know whether that's the answer you think that they want to hear or not, for sure. And I think also in Hollywood, you know, people respect and understand the fact that we are ambitious and that that ambition is a careerist sort of attitude. And so, yeah, it's okay to be like, hey, I do want to do this for my career and also the creative. I think I should have led with the creative maybe if I um, could do it over again. Just, but I, you want to just show people you're excited. Yeah. And I'm and a I, mellow dude. Do you know what I mean? So, like... Yeah, the career spin is the I'm excited. Like, this would be so fun to do. Like, yeah, it would be, be great. so great for... Like, I'd love to tell people I'm part of this project. The I was just pitching on this commercial a couple of weeks ago that had, like, a big sports component to it. And there's like, a whole baseball version of it. And I was showing my treatment to my wife. And she goes, oh, why don't... Just, you should write that you, like, love the Cleveland Indians because, you know, my family's from there. And, like, we... Like, you know, there's pictures of you in, like, Indians hats and stuff. And I was like, Kara, yeah. I know I can name you exactly zero players that play for the Cleveland yeah. Indians. Like, if they that's too easy to ask get. me yeah. one question, I'll fall You're apart. You're like, Ugh. Yeah. Like, I know that the Dodgers are in the World Series barely. Yeah, you know because it affects <laughs> your traffic. It affects your commute. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, 
finding other things. So, you know, when I pitch on sports stuff, I talk about how I made a sports film and how it was just how emotional sports can be. And it's not about just the athletes. It's about the people. Yeah, it's not about statistics. Reacting to the athletes. So I have, like, my way into sports, but it's never going to be like, oh, I grew up going to baseball games my whole life, you know, because I didn't. So I don't know. It's, uh, yeah, interviews, I think. I guess you just have to accept that you might not be the right fit sometimes. And yeah, I mean, at this point, I'm I'm quite confident in interviews like that because, like, I know I'm professional and I know I can get the job done, and I'm here to show them that. And then it's like, let's just figure out if this is the right fit or not. You know, yeah, I think it's like you just go for every job that you have an opportunity for, and then if you get them all, that's when you decide. Right. Yeah. See what you, sticks. Which one you do, but. Cool. Well, before we start talking to Morgan real quick, we always put this section at the end of the podcast. And I, if anyone is like me, they've stopped listening to the podcast right when we go into our outro. So I just really want to remind people that we'd love to hear your questions and your feedback. And, um, you know, we're kind of booking guests that we think are interesting or that there are certain topics that they might cover that will be helpful to you. But it, it's really, really helpful to us when we get feedback as to which episodes you guys like um which guests you like questions you have if you leave us itunes reviews all that stuff just makes the podcast way better at least in our opinion not just because we crave the attention or the validation but because we really take the the input to heart so uh please write to us uh, just shoot it pod at gmail.com or tweet at us at just shoot it pod and uh we or or call us at 2626 shoot um, I, real quick, actually, uh, I asked people if they liked our um, episode on commercials because that, you know, that's a deep dive. If you listen to all of that one, you really care about your commercial career. And don't blame you guys if you didn't make it through it. Uh, but Seth Jurgen uh, replied on Twitter about how uh, he's just about to direct his first commercial and how it was a huge help. So thanks oh, cool. for letting us know, Seth. That's really great. Break a leg. I hope it went awesome. Well, thanks, Seth. Um, and yeah. Please uh, be in touch, guys. Now, let's get on with the show. Hi, I'm Morgan Dameron. Hey, welcome to the show, Morgan. Hey, thank you for having me on. Uh, So, Morgan, you uh, just finished your first feature. I did. Different Flowers? It's called Different Flowers, yep. Uh, What's the logline for Different Flowers? The logline is, on the morning of her big Kansas City wedding, Millie, a type A bride, gets cold feet and she runs out with the help of her younger sister emma uh, to their grandmother's farm and they start to pick up the pieces of their lives together and it's ultimately about sisterhood and their grandmother's played by shelly long uh, and it's just been a complete whirlwind of a year sort of putting it together uh it's been the best year of my life hey the best year of your life yeah i think so without a doubt that's pretty excellent wow. it's crazy um hmm. Well, I think it's probably only going to get better, Morgan. Well, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't know. <laughs> don't you feel like this in this business, like everything kind of ebbs and flows? Yeah. I I remember the first year I went freelance, the first year I was directing yeah. full-time. I was definitely like, oh, this is the best year of my life for sure. Uh, but then the next year was better. And I think... But you've had worse years, no? Or has every year been better in your career? Since I went freelance, every year has been better. Hmm. That's super encouraging. We'll, we'll see what happens hey, next yeah, year. Yeah, we'll have to check in next year. Yo, this bubble is about <laughs> to burst. I know. Yeah. I'm I'm so deathly afraid of that because I put so much time and effort into this project. I mean, in other projects along the way. But it is scary to think, 
you know, I mean, because that's the number one question you get asked when you make anything is, well, what's next? And you're like, well, I just made this thing. Shouldn't, shouldn't we be talking sure. about this thing mm-hmm. that I just did? It sounds like mm-hmm. a nice... But everybody, no, everybody wants <laughs> to know what the next... business. Exactly. Yeah, right. It's like yesterday's that. news. Well, to be fair, right? Like, when did you start working on Different Flowers? Uh, to be super honest, uh, about like a year and a couple months ago. A year and a couple months ago. Yeah. So you... So I usually, I'm always fast. like, it's my heart song, working on it forever. Sure, sure. But... Yeah, you've been thinking about it for a long time. <laughs> yeah, but like, like... Pen to paper pen to now. Paper. Well, we started fundraising in May last year. Did you write it? I wrote it, yeah. By yourself? Yeah, by myself. Do I get you... asked that a lot by myself. I don't know. I guess because there's a lot of pairs of people that write together. Well, it just seems really fast. If you did it a year and two yeah. months ago, and the movie's already done yeah. and out and dis- being distributed. Yeah, it's crazy. Rock and roll. No, right? it's great. How long great. did it take you to write the script? Like two weeks? <laughs> yeah, I wrote it in like three days. No, um, I, you know, I'd written the script before then. I had the script before we started fundraising. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Um, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you that, know, that's different. So How that's, long did the script take? So the script took, you know, it probably, yeah, five five months to sort of get it to a place okay. where we were ready. Yeah. yeah. Five months is still quite fast. Still you, really you had fast. like a full time job at the time. I did. Yeah. Right. So it's a nights and weekends sort of writing oh, process. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Cool. That's rad. And um, is this a, a personal story? Yeah, I mean, it's personal in that it's about sisters. And I have two younger sisters. I also have a younger brother. And it's about sort of that push and pull relationship where you can be fighting one minute and then you're singing along in the car the next. And, you know, there's sort of this ebb and flow, um, much like a filmmaker's career. Um, (laughs) And I really wanted to write about that relationship. I felt like you see a lot of like brother movies. You see a lot of guy road trip comedies. You don't see a lot of sister stories and then mm-hmm. to have it also be a sister story that's sort of on the road was something I really wanted to do. So uh, so, so you wrote the you wrote your screenplay, you kickstarted, right? You raised yeah, we did. We $70,000? Yeah, right? we raised a little bit over $70,000 on Kickstarter. We set out to raise fifty, so mm-hmm. we did well. Well done, yeah. Um, and that was also intense because that's like a full-time job on top of the full-time job I had at the time. Uh, and so that was a lot. Uh, but it was incredible because it sort of allowed us as a team to really come together and what our vision was because we're telling people about it all the time. Mm -hmm. So you're like pitching to, you know, sort of Mm -hmm. online and in person to like everybody to try and get them to. Yeah. Oh, Morgan, like I saw you're making a movie. What's it about? What's it about? It's like you talk about it a lot. Uh, and, and at that point it was still kind of in its nascent stages. You know, Mm -hmm. we had, um, our amazing cinematographer and we had some of our key, people in place but we hadn't cast yet so we didn't have any sort of star power behind the kickstarter Mm -hmm. and we also we didn't have locations we didn't really have a lot of key department heads Mm -hmm. you know all of our kansas city people came after because i didn't go sort of to meet and solidify our kansas city crew until june so we had finished fundraising at that point so it was yeah it was it was nuts and did you uh raise additional funds after the oh yeah a hundred percent yeah um, yeah, we, we sort of treated the Kickstarter as like a test, like, mm-hmm. is this viable? Like, mm-hmm. can we do it? You first know, money in sort of First stuff. money in. Right. And, right. you know, when we sort of proved like, yeah, people do want it. And not only do they want it $50,000 worth, they want it, you know, 20000 more than that. We mm-hmm. were able to go to our investors and they were like, okay, we can get behind it. Sure, sure. And, yeah. and it mitigates a lot of their risk, right? Because that's oh, not yeah. money you have to pay back. Exactly. It's all, it's sort of already... It's yeah, free money. It's free money. Yeah. I mean, tell that to your aunts and uncles. Right? <laughs> well, and it's, you know, the thing that's really fun is that we also were able to, you know, I knew I wanted to make this movie at home. So we were able to engage a lot of people in the Kickstarter who then came out and were extras in the mm-hmm. movie. Or and when you, you say know, home, you mean Kansas City? I mean, Kansas City, Missouri. Yeah. 
And so we were able to sort of get people involved in different ways through that community that you build. Okay, so I have not seen the movie, but you sent us a screener. Yeah, I can't wait for you to see it. I skimmed through it really fast. Oh, thanks. On my phone. (laughs) This is exactly how I I wanted it to be watched. While I was was... feeding my daughter. (laughs) Look, that is the reality of like... um, Oh, parenthood. Parenthood and also just like, you know, executives are like, oh yeah, Morgan, uh, she's coming in for a general. Um, We've got uh, five minutes. uh, Scroll through this. uh, Somebody give her a water and uh, give me a second. (laughs) (laughs) Well, honestly, I thought I was, I had clicked on the trailer. And so I watched it. I was like, oh, an hour and a half trailer. It's pretty long. Um, It's actually a seven hour film. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, So uh, that's a modest trailer. It's proportional. So I thought I was being very, yeah. Yeah. I was having a lot of restraint. (laughs) No, but I fast forwarded through it. So I can't say anything about the performances or the story. But I can say the cinematography was pretty amazing and there was definitely some shots where you have like a bazillion extras in yeah like a, a church that, or something oh hometown advantage right right oh yeah. my gosh i, I mean, mean like a lot like a hundred yeah right? we had i think two it was like 250 people showed up that day it was incredible i mean the movie starts it sort of opens at this church and we were filming at this gorgeous church that if anyone is listening it's from kansas city it's on ward parkway which is sort of this main thoroughfare which used to, at like the turn of the century, it was like where all the mansions were built. You know, mm-hmm. it's sort of like, um, sort of West Adams in LA. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like this beautiful historic neighborhood. And there's this church that's been there. Uh, it was sort of refurbished in the 20s. And they have this gorgeous stained glass. Anyway, I, I've always loved this church. And we, you know, I was always sort of like, we sang in choir there when I was in high school. And I didn't have any idea if they were going to say yes. But they allowed us to film this wedding scene in the church. For free. Uh, for free, which is incredible. Yeah. I mean, that is. That's why you make movies that's, outside of that's LA. That's why you make movies yeah. outside of LA, is that people are so enthusiastic. It was just amazing, sort of how we didn't just use the sanctuary, which is gorgeous, but we also used their bridal suite. We used, sure. you know, they had a when huge room for extras. When you've got 250 people showing up, like. Yeah, you got to have room to put them. And yes. place, yeah, staging, all of that well, stuff. Well, and that was one of the scariest days for me because, you know, this is such a sort of labor of love project we weren't able to offer people who showed up very much besides entertainment and mm-hmm. food um and did you feed everyone <laughs> yeah well we we fed everyone breakfast because it was in the morning and i have and you wrapped them before lunch yeah <laughs> well and we had sort of the most epic team of extra wranglers ever which was my mom and my oldest little sister who really and well and two of my cousins who really sort of like took it by storm and they like really owned Mm -hmm. um this process of you know sort of getting all these extras in and out and it was so much fun because they hired this woman who also is an extra in the film who's a comedian to host a talent show for all the extras Mm -hmm. so not only did everyone get like a program that had like a crossword puzzle in it so they had like activities to do while they were waiting but then they also had a fan because it was hot and we turned off the air conditioning and then they also yeah they like did all these activities and like they all walked away and they're like we had the best day ever sure yeah. Well, uh, so I, I'm and I just curious, couldn't believe they showed up. How did you get them there in the first place? We did a variety of things. I mean, a lot of them were people who had participated in our Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. Um, I a lot of them were family. I have a huge family, so that was great. A lot of them were friends of the cast and crew that mm-hmm. were local. Uh, and then we also, I mean, we invited people from the congregation. Mm-hmm. And then we also had these like wedding invitations that we posted all over town. So we mm-hmm. d- made like a fake wedding invitation that was like, "Come be an extra in a movie." And we put it at, like dance studios and theater schools and high schools and everywhere. 
And did anyone like show up for 10 minutes and go like, uh, this is so boring. And take <laughs> you off? know, no one did that. We did have a cool thing happen. There was this awesome high schooler, Lily, who showed up and I, I'd never met her before. She didn't really have any connection to cast and crew and like to show up like as a teenager sure. yeah. on a film set by yourself is such a scary thing to do. Yeah. Um, and I mean, she was awesome. And she came up to me afterwards and was like, I, you know, I want to be a filmmaker. I don't mm-hmm. really know how to get started. And so she ended up coming back and uh, like cool. shadowing for a yeah, day, which was great. super cool. Um, and yeah, I mean, so that was just an awesome connection. I'm so excited for her to like start applying yeah. to film school and like yeah, yeah. doing the whole Go thing. Get it. Yeah. Um, well, cool. Well, so I did can we just get into the nitty-gritty here, do you mind? Sure. I did watch the trailer, and I have to admit that I had a really hard time figuring out what the movie was about <laughs> from the trailer. Do yeah. You, what is that? Is the trailer you sent us the final trailer? Uh, did you watch the 60-second version or the nine? Yeah, yeah. 60. Whenever I think, so that one, I think you probably watched the ver- this short version that's for like, a, it's like a digital ad. Um, so the idea is just to give you like the feeling, you know, and like yeah, the look. I definitely yeah. got the tone and the yeah. look, but I guess I'm wondering what's like, how do you get people to want to see, like, why should people watch a movie? I mean, I think people should watch it because it's about this journey. It's about sort of like self-discovery. Um, and so that's kind of what we've been focusing on is having her start off uh, in this really vulnerable place and then sort of figuring out what her life is all about. Yeah. I mean, it's hard when you're selling any independent film to sort of, you know, well, what's different about this one? Well, it's you know, it's a personal story. It's a a story about, you know, a really, you know, complex, interesting, you know, lead female character. Um, Yeah. And, you know, really what we focus on is like the runaway bride aspect, which is super fun and you know, sort of relatable. It's mm-hmm. crazy how many people in these Q and A's um, have come up to me afterwards and been like, like, "I was in this situation." Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, or I mean, Lauren's run out of like six weddings. Right? I haven't run out of six <laughs> weddings, but I definitely know some people. Maybe even some people that listen to this podcast <laughs> that were engaged well, and engaged did, and broke and didn't it off. Get and yeah. Yeah, and, well, yeah, and working your way yeah. through that time and figuring out, like, did I make the right choice? You know, how do mm-hmm. where do I go sure. from here when sort of everything's led up to this moment? Um, so that's part of it. And then the, the other part of it is the sister aspect, which is, you know, really focusing on that relationship and, and how authentic it is and how complicated it is and how that leads to funny moments and also tense moments and, and sad moments. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because I, I look at my trailer and I'm like, I don't know why anyone, uh, the movie, <laughs> like my kind of passion project movie. I watch the trailer and I'm like, I don't know why anyone would want to go see this. It feels like a sports film right. that you've seen, but well, at a lower and, budget than... You know, I think for us too, it's it's about being, you know, a, a little bit of brightness in a, a time where there's a lot of negativity in the mm-hmm. world and, and sort of allowing people to escape for, you know, an hour and a half and, and have a good time. And, and it's like a, a breath of fresh air. So yeah. you, you, not to jump uh, forward too much into the future, sure. but you, you self-distributed, right? Yeah, we self-distributed. Talk, we were talking off mic. You did a theatrical run in 11 cities. Two, yeah. two of the th- those theaters uh, extended their runs, yeah. right? Which is pretty rare for something like that. It, how did you get those audiences into the theaters? Uh, like, is this a New York and LA release? Is this? It was, you know, we really focused on where we felt like our audience was, which is the Midwest. I mean, it's a story made in the Midwest by a Midwesterner about 
people in the Midwest in states where, you know, they call them flyover states for a reason. You don't see them on screen very often. Mm -hmm. And so that was also the angle and also, you know, where we sort of target our trailer to is people that are going to recognize places that are in the film and want to go see it for that reason. So Mm -hmm. we did L.A. New York so you can get the press. Um, And then you also, we really focused on the Midwest. So we did Chicago and St. Louis and Kansas City Mm -hmm. and Wichita and, you know, really focused in on these Midwestern towns, uh, which was great because so many of those, A, publications want to cover it because mm-hmm. there's a local sure, angle. Sure, And, and then, you can pitch them easily. It's like a local girl made good story. Yeah. Right? yeah. Um, and there's just, I mean, there's a different way that people approach the movies there where, mm-hmm. you know, you sort of show up and you buy your ticket. Like here, it's like, okay, there's... You know, I can really only pick between four things because, sure. you know, I only go to this one theater right, and right. I only sit in this one seat. It's a it's a little bit of a different vibe. Um, and so I feel like it was almost an easier sell in a way. It was like, well, you could go see this movie, but you could also go see this really fun movie mm-hmm. that you won't get a chance to see any other time. Right. Um, you mean to say that, like, people show up to a movie theater and say, hey, what's playing? Yeah. Like, I want to go to the movies, not, oh, I'm going to go, gonna go see, see this. Iron yeah. Man. I mean, I still think people go see sure. Iron Man right. in droves, but I think there's a little bit more if you give people the option, uh, you and know, so freedom of choice. Do you know, like, kind of how the what the numbers are? Like, how many people just randomly saw your movie from I, I don't theater? know randomly. I mean, because so part of it was that. I mean, but we also were really strategic and we used targeted Facebook and Instagram ads to to target people to go see our film, and we used targeted social media, you know, like crazy, as well as email blasts, and we got on newsletters, and um, I mean, really did any sort of grassroots marketing that you could do i reached out to every college professor if any of them are listening thank you for spreading the word um you know like anybody who was you know associated with a film school in those cities i Mm -hmm. like personally emailed or reached out to um and so i think so what was your sorry i'm just really curious yeah no it's awesome that you made this movie and it's awesome that it extended all these runs but there is kind of this thing going on in the world right now where a lot of people are writing us and they're like is indie film dead Right, like, right. You can barely get people to go see oh, freaking Geostorm. Yeah. Sure, how can you get someone to see a movie about well, sisters oh, or a deaf well, wrestler? Exactly. <laughs> well, and for me, I mean, I, I mean, the whole point of this is to, you know, do the next one. You know, I mean, it's amazing to have made this film, and I'm really proud of it, and I can't wait for more people to see it. But at the end of the day, it's for everyone who worked on this movie to have said that they've worked on a theatrically released feature film so that they can get the next movie. Mm-hmm. It's not about making a million dollars, which is why we made it for super cheap and why we pulled every favor we could so that we had a higher chance of succeeding at that for the next one. So when a big movie goes in the theater, and I don't mean to only talk about marketing, but it is super fascinating to me, if it's a... a original story you have to build up awareness so there's a whole awareness campaign just to get people to recognize the name of that movie Mm -hmm. you know which you don't have to do for things like star wars or iron man but then you know for an independent film that awareness is a huge part of the campaign and that's basically we put our theatrical and our awareness campaigns together Mm -hmm. so our theatrical campaign was just so people hear about different flowers and they go oh i think i've heard that before or somebody said that or you know, like it's in mm-hmm. the. They're like, oh yeah, they're I like, think oh I've yeah, heard, that's yeah, like yeah. familiar. Right. So that then, you know, when we have our digital release, which is coming up, you know, in a week and a half, it's easier to get those people to click than it mm-hmm. would have been if they'd never heard of it before. Right. Because why are they going to watch this trailer? They're going to watch it because they've seen it a couple times. And they're like, why do I keep seeing this? This must be something I should pay attention to. 
At least yeah. that's the theory. I'll let you yeah. know how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's just so freaking but, well, hard to get beyond that, you know, it is. $20 well, million dollar I mean, and a spend. It is. Well, and I think that that's, you know, the amazing thing for us theatrically was that we didn't do a four-wall campaign. We worked with AMC, and they were really incredible to us to part of their independent program to do profit shares. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, for filmmakers that is a huge hurdle that a lot of people can't get over is booking a theater and then having no one show up and that money's just gone. Right. right. You know, that risk is so much higher. So walk, walk us through how, uh, not necessarily your deal worked, but like profit share in general. So like, um, when you're going into a, you're looking to book theaters, there's a few different ways you can do it. You could, just do New York and LA to get press. But the thing today is that not every publication is required to give you a review if you right. book in New York and LA. Right, which is a recent thing. Which is a recent thing. You know, it used to be if you booked a theater and you got a newspaper ad, you were sure. guaranteed. And it's just not right. that way New anymore. New York Times and LA Times. Yeah. Uh, and now, you know, really where you want to focus is, yeah, where you know people are going to show up because you're not guaranteed anything. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have to hedge your bets a little bit more than you would have. Um, And I mean, I'm by no means an expert, but I I think that's one of the reasons why even if a Kickstarter is really daunting or a Seed and Spark or an Indiegogo, you know, the thing that's cool is that you find out where your people are. You Mm -hmm. know, it's like, oh, we had 30%. It's like a marketing campaign. It's like a marketing campaign. And you get all this information about like, oh, there's, you know, 70 people in Iowa who are really interested. Mm -hmm. Well, that's great information. That means that maybe they're, you know, it'll be 70 people and they'll bring a friend, you know. Right, right. We did this thing called Tug. Do you know about them? I know about them. Uh, We thought about it. But ultimately, uh, the people that I know that had done it just it, they like barely broken even, and it, it yeah was we actually, it was like we had already done our theatrical, and then Tug basically came into existence. This was a yeah. while ago when I made my movie. Tug basically is like if you can show us that there are people in right. Kansas like, City yeah. want to watch the movie, we'll release it there. It's like you pre-sell basically. Is that yeah, right? yeah. some yeah. idea like that? But it's yeah. kind of the idea about event films, which is really kind of like what independent yeah. films like at this budget level like oh, have yeah. to be. It has to be event based. So my movie was it was it had it starred deaf actors and it had subtitles and deaf people typically can't go to the movie theater because they can't hear what the people are saying, but if there's subtitles then they can. And so the whole idea behind the theatrical release was like, hey, deaf people, you can go see yeah. this movie in the theater and understand what the people are saying. Um, so it's like event worthy. Like they can't go see Iron Man. They, right. they can, but they don't know what anyone's saying, especially if they're off camera. Um, or he's in a mask, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess he is in a mask. Um, but uh, How did it go? I mean, I don't know. I think it went really well. We just had uh, two episodes ago, we had Liz Manichel on who's, works at Sundance yeah. in distribution now. It started this distribution program. And we made a tiny bit of money on our theatrical campaign, but I don't know. It's like I, I felt like it was all over the place. We played in like a million festivals. We won a million awards. It was like reviewed in like a million newspapers. And like my grandma was still like, I don't know why no, I don't know why the Orange County Register never wrote about your movie. I think you would have <laughs> made money if like the Register wrote about your movie. And right. it's like, You're like, Grandma, they did. I think that's the the really important thing to keep in mind is to set your goals based off of what you want to achieve and not what anyone else does. You know, if, if I had my set goals are based off what my grandma, <laughs> well, and me too. You are in trouble. I mean, you guys, <laughs> my, my film is sort of centered around 
you know, the, these two sisters, but their grandma plays a huge role because my grandma has played huge roles in my life. And unfortunately, they're not around anymore. But I, I still sort of want to fulfill that spirit, sure. yeah, you yeah. know. And they were so feisty and so knew what they wanted. Uh, and so I, I always sort of think about them. Yeah, when I'm setting out to do stuff. Uh, it's funny you mentioned your grandma's like, why isn't it in the register? You know, it's like, I, my mom is always like, why isn't it in the Kansas City Star? I'm like, well, I'm working on it, you know. Yeah. Um, it was but, in the LA Times like, and the New York Times. <laughs> my grandma's like, well, I didn't see it. <laughs> okay, well, so I guess it wasn't there. I mean, but I think the thing that's important is, yeah, I mean, you you got to keep your eyes on your own paper, right? Like, you, you got to keep your eye on what your prize is, like my prize is to make the next one, you know, right. so it's figuring out how to make that and, and have that be real and not take 10 more years, mm-hmm. you know, um, because even though this movie took, you know, like a year and a half kind of from like start to finish kind of, right. you know, yeah, give or take, give or take, um, I, you know, was working towards it. I've been in LA for 10 years. Sure. And there is, there's a difference between that first Kickstarter film and then like the one that somebody pays for entirely, yeah, right? Like, absolutely. you know, you can't kickstart again. Well, yeah. you know, some people can, but like, yeah, you know, no, I was, I always deal. knew it was a one and yeah. one and done. And that's why I didn't do any for any short films. I saved mm-hmm. it all up yeah, for yeah. this one because I knew I could only ask once and have it be a big, right. Yeah. Well, I guess to me, there's like, you, you can make a movie like this and then your next movie can be something similar, just a little bit bigger because whatever that dentist you told him that he had this <laughs> huge theatrical release and it was in all the papers and everyone loved it and whatever and he'll give you $500,000 to make a movie, right? Or you can make like a movie with Jason Blum for like 5 to $10 million because you made paranormal activity or you made blue ruin or whatever you made some movie that it doesn't matter if anyone saw in the theater it like left some sort of mark like on hollywood so it's like whether um you care for your next movie to be like in the hollywood in the you know hollywood studio system or not if not then this stuff really matters if um if you do just want like to do a studio film or even a small studio film you know it seems like it's less about the Kickstarter and the and the audience and the numbers and the paper, you know, it's more about like yeah. Well, hey, I think it's all. I mean, for me, it's about attracting like you know. I made this amazing movie, yeah. and now Robert De Niro wants to be well, and just to have movie. an example to show yeah. that you're capable. I mean, mm-hmm. I feel like my sort of whole structure. The reason I I went to USC and the the reason I went there is because I mean, as a person and as a woman, I wanted to have a piece of paper that said I was capable. Mm-hmm. You know, otherwise I would have gone to a liberal arts school. Um, you know, the reason that I, uh, you know, made this movie is so that I can say, Hey, look, I did this, you know, um, I'm, I'm not just talking about it. It's not just something that I do web series and shorts on weekends. It's like, it's a real thing, you know? And, and the fact that you can now legitimize yourself through making something and break even or make a profit is a big deal. Um, not saying that you're going to do that through a th- theatrical release, mm-hmm. but, you know, if but, but an opportunity like comes your way to... Theatrical release was important to you. It was important to me. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. That's what I right. mean, I guess, by setting your own goals. is like, that was something I really wanted. And so we sort of figured out the financials to make it viable. Mm-hmm. Not that it was like, this is going to make our film a huge success. Like, the, I think the audience for the film mainly lives online. You know, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a lot of young women. It's like college-age Midwestern girls, you know, right. well, and their moms and their grandmas, you know. Yeah. And sort of having, uh, you know, those people be able to access it as freely as possible is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, but, 
for some people, their whole goal may be film festivals. You know, some people are like, I just want to do like a film festival run and like get all the accolades. And that's amazing. And we did have a really fun, awesome film festival run. But the goal was always like past that, I guess. Mm -hmm. I think what's interesting here is that you've got a very fully formed sense of what your path is, right? Like knowing those goals very concretely is interesting to me. And that's super admirable, right? Like I think... Took me a while. I feel long like we're time. all figuring it out. Yeah, everyone's you know? still figuring it out. <laughs> yeah, Morgan's like, I'm born and I know what I want. No, um, it is it, funny though it, when it, you, I don't know if you guys are like this, but like I was, I've always been so dead set. I'm like, this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. Or did you come to it later? I, no, I, I, I knew that stuff, but also was like, got to film school and I was like, ah, all right, what's next? Sure. And I'm still kind of in the, ah, what's next? You know, you, I can take a baby step, no problem. But like seeing five years in the future, I'm like, I, I don't know. Whereas, um, yeah. yeah, I had like an intuition that I wanted to build, make things and show oh, them cool. to people. And I wanted them to be really excited by them and hopefully moved or yeah. I wanted them to get something out of it. So that's why I went to engineering school um, and I made things for people. Right. But um yeah, I ultimately kind of realized I was like interacting with machines way more than people. Right. And so, and I'd fallen in love with just kind of being on set and the whole technical aspect of it. And then like, I mean, I talk about this on the podcast all the time, but I had like never seen Casablanca or Citizen Kane right. until I was like 25 years old or something. I moved to LA and I was like, uh, I need to watch movies. Like I haven't <laughs> seen any time to mainline. I've only seen Spaceballs 45 times. I have, yeah, I have to like give myself a, an education. I, I feel yeah. like I'm constantly Spaceballs doing is that. where to start though, I think. Well, I grew uh, up oh, yeah. like I Mel Brooks. Think so. Oh, yeah. 100%. And all that yeah. stuff. Yeah. Like I love, always loved comedies. My dad had like that shelf with like 800 VHS oh, tapes on it. Same. And I would yeah. just watch everything over Oh my God, I'd watch, I'd watch so Star many Wars Steve Martin movies just <laughs> over yeah. and over. Yeah, I feel like you're blowing my mind, Oren, because I think that it may be more valuable to watch like a Mel Brooks spoof than it is to watch a lot of classic films. Like I think a, a, a sharp parody like that is more concise about explaining style and form and rhetoric right. than Birdman is. Do you, you know what I mean? But if you haven't seen the thing it's parodying, does it hold its weight? Well, I'd seen, yeah. I definitely had seen all the Star Wars a million times and yeah. Back to the Future. I mean, I watched the movies yeah. that everybody watched. Terminator. Sure. Um, coming to America, there were like, sure, sure. you know, there's nudity in it. So as yeah, a kid, so, I like just so watched good. it over and over. <laughs> a plus. Uh, yeah, I, I would say, yeah, I think it's, it's... I I feel like it's... I mean, that's the thing that I love about sort of the the moment we're in where like Spaceballs is held to the same standard as the thing it's parodying. Like, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I definitely knew Spaceballs better than I knew Star Wars when I was a kid. For sure. Yeah. For sure. And Dark, was, I thought then Darth Vader later, was yeah. a parody of Dark Helmet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, so Star Wars is a perfect segue, Morgan. Because um, what I'm getting at is, so you were, once upon a time, uh, an assistant to a little filmmaker named J.J. Abrams. Yeah. He doesn't like to be called little. He doesn't. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I've worked I, on a lot I'm, of really known. small indie films there. Yeah. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. Scrappy, scrappy little outfit is what I'm getting at. I mean, it really has that spirit, though, which is such a cool thing about working uh you know, for someone like J.J. Abrams at a place like Bad Robot is it has this amazing sort of creative feel. It feels like you're just getting together and, and making a movie with friends, which was kind of what made me want to keep doing that. Sure, yeah. It sounds- but see, that's what I feel like people think of indie films as like that, which there there obviously is to some degree, but like 
J.J. Abrams or Spielberg or Lucas or Fincher or Paul Briganti on Saturday Night Live, like they're working with budgets where if someone has a good idea, they can do it, you know? Mm -hmm. And they're still hiring their buddies. Yeah. Pretty often, right? And so it's like, that's my dream. That's why I want to make Marvel movies because I want to be like, oh, wouldn't it be awesome if this and this and this and yeah. we can do and it? And someone's like, yeah, let's go do that. Because yeah. now I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, hey, it'll only take another five minutes, but if we get this cool shot and the producer's like, no. <laughs> can't go into OT. Yeah, yeah. That's why you produce your own stuff. Yeah, there you go. Well, that's, that's more work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think that's sort of the moral of the story, right? Is like anything indie, it's, it's more work. You know, but but you take that with a grain of salt because then you're able to make it happen. You're making the thing you want to make. Yeah. What's the, like, do you want to, do you make a living as a director? We try to talk about what can make this a sustainable career and not like your, oh, yeah. your you know, your passion. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not, well, for, for a really long time, it was nights and weekends. Uh, and, you know, for the past. While you were making Star while, Wars. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> Quite literally. <laughs> well, and I really, truly, yeah. I mean, I. And were you in England? I, yeah, I was in England for a year. And then we came back and we did post in L.A. And while we were in post, I was for the first time, because, I mean, it, it was just so huge. I mean, it was incredible, but it was just. This is The Force Awakens. This is The Force Awakens. Uh, and it was just such a big project. We were like working all the time. And I remember we sort of got back to LA and, uh, I got my stuff out of storage and I all of a sudden was getting home at like regular mm -hmm. office hours mm -hmm. again after being in production for, sure. you know, several months. And, uh, I had kind of all this brain space and I was like, well, I have all these ideas. Like where have these been, you know? And, yeah. um, that, that was when I started writing Different Flowers was when things sort of started slowing down a little bit. I imagine also being with like a J.J. Abrams and who wrote? Who Larry Kasdan. Larry Kasdan. Like those guys, those guys. You get that, to call him Larry. I, <laughs> but I imagine, like I think when you're on the outside, like neither Matt nor I worked on Star Wars, I think, in, in any real capacity. Like to us, it's like. Well, oh, you were viewers and fans, right? That's a big part. Yeah, that doesn't count. <laughs> but we. I'm trying to give you a little bit of a confidence boost, right, man. Just but you're ruining it. my point. <laughs> my, my point is that we look at Larry Kasdan and we look at those guys and we're like, we could never do that. They're like amazing. There's some creative genius there that is so inaccessible. They just like put pen to paper or whatever. They type something up and it's like amazing. But you're like on the inside and you're like, wait, Larry just said something that's not great. And like somebody else. Has. <laughs> and if you ever. Uh, this would be a great unpaid endorsement. Well, I'll just mention right now because they did it on script notes, but they had this whole recording of or transcript of like Larry and George Lucas and Steven Spielberg coming yeah. up with like Indiana Jones, I think. And just like George Lucas has all these horrible ideas. <laughs> um, so just kind of like seeing these people that everyone else considers at the top of the, you know, sure. the industry just making mistakes probably makes you feel like, it's, this is actually not that hard. <laughs> like, I can go home and I can write a great movie, too. I don't know why I mean, I'm intimidated. I, I don't... I mean, it is really helpful to see and to be surrounded by incredibly talented people because you do feel like, wow, you know, this is something that a person does. But at the same time, you are working with incredibly talented people and it is incredibly t sure. intimidating, right. you know, when you're, uh, like, putting yourself in a situation where you have to be on someone's playing field, I think that's always, I mean, it's, it's intimidating walking into this room and being like, oh, I'm going to be on this podcast today. What am I going to say? 
you know. Sure. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. But I feel like the thing that's that's helpful Name drop is... Larry Caston. That's, that's <laughs> but I feel like the, <laughs> yeah. the thing that's helpful is just to know that everybody has those same insecurities. It didn't used to be in vogue to sort of be authentic. You know, mm-hmm. you, you kind of wanted to have this polished perception of what your life was like. And oh, yes, well, and it was just so easy to do that. And it was so easy to do this. Um, but now I, I do think just with the advent of the internet and social media and sort of access to people in the way that it's not just the six o'clock news at night, you know, you have a little bit more of an insight into, okay, everybody does struggle. Everybody does Mm -hmm. have moments of weakness or, you know, confidence issues and to see people succeed at an extraordinary level through that is, you know, super inspiring. Um, and not to mention when you're working on a project like that, everybody, every single day, even at the top is like, oh my God, we're working on Star Wars. Sure. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Like people are still, they're still super stoked. I did actually work on one Star Wars related thing. What did you work on? I did a parody uh, (laughs) for Quiznos called Star Tourage, where it was, was when it seemed like they would let anybody direct a Star Wars. They were just giving them out. (laughs) And so in our, I don't know if you saw the Entourage, the movie, but Vince, Vincent Chase gets to direct this $100 million movie. And so in our parody, it's Star Wars. That's And he's dressed like J.J. Abrams walking around the set. Oh, my gosh. You know, flirting with a lot of people. Not not very 2017 compatible. (laughs) Um, But uh, I'm just going to ask, like, what are are some directing tips you learned from J.J.? Oh, my gosh. I mean... The thing that's really crazy is, I mean, it was like sort of, I'd I'd been through film school, but it was still like the best film school you could ask for, Um, which is funny because, you know, JJ and Larry have both sort of said in interviews before that making Star Wars is sort of the best film school you could ask for (laughs) because you get to work with all these incredible people and from the, you know, from Dan Mendel, who is a bona fide genius to the creatures department to, you know, like the PAs that are working on those sets are such talented individuals um you know it sort of makes you it once be like oh okay I'm here I'm like surround like mm-hmm. I'm in this environment like that means that I must be meant to be here for you know I'm here for a reason I was hired for a reason but at the same time you're like what am I doing here this is crazy everyone is so good at their jobs and it like makes you rise to that level because you want to be uh you know y- you don't want people to find out that you're a fraud right sure right so anything applicable to like uh, other directors? Well, I mean, I think the, I mean, one of the huge things is just that he's so generous and, and just sort of having this um, mentality that and an, a good idea can come from anywhere, I, I think is really important. And that's something that I really tried to embody, uh, you know, like on the extras day, it was like, um, I, I was so concerned, like, are we going to have enough people? Are there going to be, you know, is everyone going to, like, you know, be tired? Are they going to be bored? Are they all going to leave before we get the shot? Um, and so, like, just making sure that, you know, you are talking to the people who are giving you their time. Something I always notice, I mean, from the top down, you know, of all the producers on those movies is that they, you know, introduce themselves to everyone in the room. You know, mm-hmm. no one is unimportant. Uh, and that's something that I think people assume all the time is like, well, they're so important. They're not going to talk to me. And it's like, you put that extra bit of effort in and you get it back and not that I'm in a position of power by any means but when you do have a lot going on and you're on a set just checking in with the people that are around you I mean especially your actors where I think a lot of first-time directors go to a set and they're like all right we've got this shot we've got our hundred extras we've got this crazy you know we've got the dolly we rented for this one day and the move is all ready and you forget like 
oh yeah, like this is where we are in the movie. This is where mm-hmm. we are in the story. This is what you're feeling emotionally. You know, do you have any questions? How are you doing today? You know, have you eaten? Like these are all sort of like human things that are sure. important that uh, you kind of have to be balancing at the same time as you have everything else going on. And I think that was one of the biggest lessons I learned as being an assistant was how to juggle all those different things because you're responsible for keeping those balls in the air and knowing where things are at different times. Right. That's fascinating. Yeah. Because you're kind of the behind the scenes person of like running a schedule, like running interference on things, like all the different questions that I would field. I got to sort of be my own assistant and like, you know, try and, I mean, it definitely helped with producing and directing at the same time. So I think let's let's talk a little bit more about assistant because I think it's a thing where when you're first starting out, you think, okay, that's like the job that everyone kind of has to have. It's like being in the mailroom yeah. or PAing, something like that. It's like entry level, right? And I feel like so often people start off wanting to be a director yeah. and then they become a, an assistant or they get in the mailroom or wherever and they end up becoming their bosses. Right, so you, that's a yeah, good way to become you an go executive. Development you or an executive, yeah, sure. Exactly. And not that that's the wrong choice. Yeah, Sometimes people Star love Wars. it. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, but you looked at your boss and said, I want to do something different than what they're doing, right? Well, the thing that was crazy about working for my boss was I wanted to I wanted to do exactly what he's doing. Sure. So you do want to do like big Hollywood studio I, movies? I would love to do studio movies. Yeah. 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 See, I'm not the only one. Sure. No. <laughs> All these I would SC love grads to. usually <laughs> come here and they're like, ugh. There are so many. I mean, I, I mean, I love independent film, but I have always been a fan of like, just sure. big studio. I mean, if I could direct, if like 90s romantic comedies came back, sure. like that, yeah, yeah. that's my dream. That's your dream. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, like a musical. So you want to do Felicity JJ. Yes. Not um, Force Awakens like, JJ. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but the thing that's incredible about, uh, I mean, when you're doing an indie project, you are the studio. So mm-hmm. like you're the head of publicity and marketing and distribution and pre-production and art. And, you know, like there's like hundreds of people whose brains are going towards making these other projects incredible. And it, mm-hmm. people give it a bad rap because there's such bureaucracy and there's, you know, all these hurdles. And obviously, you know, there's been one female directed blockbuster. This Well, there's been more, sure. a, a yeah, couple yeah, now, yeah. but you know, like Wonder Woman was like, this is it guys. We finally got one. So I guess me touting the uh, benefits of studio movies can, is a little bit, you have to take that with a grain of salt, sure, sure. you know, sort of knowing that my chances of doing that ever are incredibly slim. Well, that's true for everybody. But too, it's right? also you true know, for everybody. Yeah, statistically, we're, we're statistically, all... Statistically, yeah. I mean, women are so, you know, there's just no... I just mean human beings. Human beings, too. Right, like everyone on the planet, statistically, it's zero people do yeah. blockbusters. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. But the thing that's, you know, incredible is, yeah, you do sort of have... You just have all of these brains that are working on your project. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, you know, and it's kind of, it reminds me a little bit of the Beatles, which may be a weird analogy, but uh, yeah, I'm a huge like Beatles fan. But <laughs> Been in one. <laughs> Pretty cool. <laughs> but uh, when they were sort of first starting out, they had all these restrictions. You know, at Abbey Road, like they, they always talk about how they didn't have like money for milk for their tea. Mm-hmm. But like working within that box allow them to create some of the most amazing music of all time. So you sort of end up having these restrictions no matter where you go. And it's like you just have to grow within them. You guys read uh, Blink? Have you guys read that book? Austin Gladwell, Blink? Yeah. 
Yeah, the 10,000 hours guy? Yeah, yeah. That's the story of the Beatles, and I always think of, like, why they're so good is because... Oh, because they, 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 they did their 10,000 hours. They did their 10,000 hours and hours. Yeah. Like, um, really fast. Right. Because they were playing, like, five hours a night, like, seven days a week for, like, yeah. a year or something. Totally. Well, that's why, I mean, not why, but I, before I did Different Flowers, I did a, wet, a full season of a web series and a short, like, right before. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was independent or you were hired to do that yeah yeah they were both independent they're both favors for friends um one's called the fat one uh with Catherine release which is on youtube which is really good and then uh another one is this pilot called xyxx that's that's super cool it's gonna come out at some point i think like a yeah. digital pilot or yeah maybe... digital pilot but that was you know just another opportunity to like continue to cut your teeth you know because mm-hmm. i'd made a short a couple months before and like every couple months you gotta you know, and if you're so, not being hired to do something, you got to you do it yourself. Just do it. Yeah. yeah. Just shoot it even. Um, <laughs> well, so what's... Oh, you were asking how I make a living. Um, or, right? or, yeah. Did you skip that question? Sorry. Kind of how you make a living or like, I guess if I were you right now and I just made this movie and I know a lot of people in Hollywood, obviously, and to what you were saying about female directors and how there have not been a lot of them historically, but... It seems like there is a desire a for them. Yes. Yeah. I, I would try to direct TV because there is like 100%. amazing 90s, you know, rom-coms or musicals or cool like. Oh, yeah. Shows, I mean, like Crazy Fleabag Ex-Girlfriend or, is amazing. Yeah, or, Fleabag's incredible. Handmaid's Tale this year was unbelievable. Yeah, yeah no, like I, I've got killing. My... Like, I mean, it doesn't yeah. have to be. No, that's just exactly about... it. And that, that's what I'm angling for. I did this amazing program this summer called the Ryan Murphy Half Foundation, oh, which yeah, is like a cool. shadowing opportunity. Yeah, yeah. It was so amazing um i shouted this incredible director gwyneth horter payton who is just uh, incredible i mean she's just at the top of her game knows what she wants um it was awesome sort of just getting to watch her and sort of absorb which is funny you know you asked sort of what i learned from working for jj and it was so hard to just do that when you're working for someone because your whole job is to not just your whole job is not to like be busy to have things to do to get them to do the work that you know you probably don't want to do when you're directing a movie like pay attention to the other 10 projects in development you know um and so i always had a to-do list that was like 400 things long Mm -hmm. um and any moment that i wasted sort of thinking about myself or talk you know like Mm -hmm. people are always like oh like do you you know you talk about your projects all the time who has time for that you know Mm -hmm. you've got a lot of stuff to do not that people weren't supportive of me creatively they were but I was like very all about business um and I think that that's the cool thing about these programs that I mean that are, are incredibly competitive but, you know, if you can get that opportunity to shadow someone, you're just there to do that. Mm-hmm. It's such a rare opportunity. It's kind of like what you guys were saying with this podcast. It's like you never get to talk to directors about directing. You're always being directed or work, you know, like th- there's always a sure, job yeah, to yeah. do. So to, to have an opportunity to do that is really cool. Um, I started this directing workshop that sort of also gives you that opportunity. It's like, you know, one night a week where you can just observe, listen, learn, experiment, and you're not under the gun. You're not, you know, you don't have thousands of dollars on the line a minute. You're like just there to work on your craft. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a workshop that you started? Yeah, I I co-started it uh, with this uh, awesome filmmaker, Savannah. 
and it's been running for about two years now. And it just meets every Monday night, and we have a rotating group of directors and actors. And when people have projects that are coming up, they just put scenes up on their feet with actors, and it's just a way to hear it out loud, try different sure. blocking. That's how we know techniques. each other, actually. Yeah, is. that's how and we know. Chrissy was, would do scenes in yeah. the sandbox. Yeah. And when they, are they're male directors? Yeah. And would it's it like be weird if you like brought like a commercial script or something? No, you should come. And we're like, this commercial doesn't really make oh, sense. Oh, we've done that a lot, <laughs> actually, with like bad, like people get hired for projects and they're like, this script is bad and I can't tell anyone, what do I do? Uh, we bring it in, you know, and they come up with some ideas. I mean, because actors are so brilliant at that because they have sure. to do that all the time with bad scripts, like come up with ways to make it sound, you know, believable. Yeah, um, I have a shoot coming up where I'm like, you know, sometimes people write things that are not shootable. Yeah. <laughs> um, like whatever someone's feeling or they look over here and they realize oh my this gosh thing. totally and they realize yeah, yeah. and i'm like yeah, what is that moment rough. how are we gonna shoot this i can make that work if i add like three or four more shots you know yeah. show her looking at something show, show what she's looking thing. at show, oh my gosh back but i'd love to like workshop doing yeah. that in one shot without having to like yeah. carve out that moment which i totally. you know it's probably a moment i don't think is necessary to begin with um, yeah, you should come to the workshop or or do it yourself. Get a, get some friends. Yeah. Your wife sounds like a talented actress. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> pretty good. So, Morgan, I want to know um, how you quit your job, right? Because I think people, yeah. like, getting the job's hard. Getting the job. Well, doing the job's hard. That was the crazy thing about this job. It's my first job ever. Um, so I, I graduated USC. I applied uh, for an internship at Bad Robot, and mm-hmm. I actually didn't get it for the summer. Uh, and I was a receptionist for a few months at this awesome animation company called Shadow Machine that made mm-hmm. Robot Chicken for a while. Uh, and they were working on a movie called Helen Back when I was there that was just so much fun. So I would like answer the phone for them and then like go and paint puppets on my lunch break. It was awesome. But then a couple months later, I got this call. It was like, do you want to come be an intern for the fall? Mm-hmm. And a couple months after I started being an intern, they started shooting Star Trek Into Darkness. So that was the first movie I worked on at Bad Robot. So what year was that? That was in 2000. 11 was when I started and 12 when we started shooting that Mm -hmm. January. Um, And that, you know, was like five months fast track. You're shooting every, you know, every day. Um, And then right after that movie, I got promoted to being JJ's first assistant. He has two. Uh, And so sort of with no experience, ended up in this amazing (laughs) opportunity. Sure, yeah, yeah. uh, And had to just like learn really quickly. Maybe for people who don't know, like being... J.J. Abrams' first assistant opens a lot of doors. You could go become move into development. Yeah, well, in all, that, all over town. You I know what I mean? That, that, that is the path. Well, right? and you know, a, a lot of people choose that path. Um, you know, in in people, and that is a great competitive, oh lucrative yeah. path. You Incredibly. Know? Um, but I was always very focused on. I wanted to be a creator. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to to write and direct. Um, and so I was sort of always doing that while I was on the desk and I was always thinking, um, I had this professor at USC who always talks about golden handcuffs and how you don't want to sure. be caught in golden handcuffs. I mean, because it's an amazing job. You get to work on inc- just unbelievable projects with the most generous, loving people. You're part of a family. Like, how do you leave that? And do you fly first class everywhere? No. Yeah. I mean... I mean, when we were traveling, sometimes I got to fly business class. That was really nice. Or like private jets. 
I did get to fly on an R2-D2 plane. It was totally <laughs> insane. Uh, the whole cast flew, and JJ and Larry and some of the other department heads flew t- from the LA premiere to London on an R2-D2 plane. Which was like a, it was like, a regular airplane? It's like a regular airplane, but painted like r2d2 and the whole cast of star wars is on it it was so surreal so were you and like they had all the star wars movies in so you could like be watching the movie that larry kasdan wrote sitting behind larry kasdan who were you sitting next to um i think i was sitting next to one of the publicists i don't remember yeah i mean well a very nice publicist (laughs) yeah incredibly nice um (laughs) i remember i was sitting close to Giannis, who plays chewy that was really cool. That's pretty nice. Um, and then who's you were expecting like, a baby. Hey, congrats, hey, Chewie. Uh, <laughs> a little, little furball. Uh, but then you quit, right? Yes. So I, so, so yeah. So how do you do that? How do you that? do that? Yeah. Um, well, first thing is you have to make sure you've saved up enough money to sustain yourself over shooting a movie where you're not going to get paid. Mm-hmm. Um, because my salary was not part of the budget. So that was sort of step one was like, make sure that, you know, you aren't going to quit and then have to drive uber while you're trying to shoot your film you want to be able to be mm, okay that's not a bad idea right like driving uber and taking meetings like while you're driving well you could do that i mean like when you're in production like if you're gonna quit to make a movie right, right like right. i was gonna shoot for a month you know i couldn't like yeah yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> i know but I, and... uber is a great side gig our my one of our producers is an uber driver Okay. And it's been his freelance thing. Yeah, you set your own hours. You set your own hours. Yeah. yeah. Uber's great. Lyft is great. Um, unpaid endorsement. Lyft is better. <laughs> but I mean, I, and I was terrified, you know, because I, I have, you know, real loyalty for that company. And I was so scared that someone was going to say, you know, because I had sort of given myself permission to embark on this journey. Mm-hmm. And I was so scared someone was going to be like, why are you doing that? You should just stay here. You've got a path laid out for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I eventually told them, you know, this is what I'm hoping to do. I've written the script. I want to make this project. Uh, they were like, this is exactly what you should be doing. And yeah. we support you 100%. Um, were you like, can you write a check? <laughs> <laughs> well, they, million when dollars? you say 100% support, <laughs> do you mean a development I mean, deal? the thing that's incredible is that so many of the people who worked on Star Wars and Star Trek, I mean... Uh, my editor, Nate Orloff, is an incredibly talented editor. This is his first feature. He was working uh, on another Bad Robot project at the time, and that's how we had met. Um, our colorist was, you know, a colorist on The Force Awakens. Just I incredible. Did your color was very good. Yeah, the color is really good. Juan Cabrera. Everybody, check out Where Light, is that? Light Bender. It's called no. He has his own company called Light Bender. He's and like, he did Star Wars. Yeah, he worked on Star Wars. It wasn't. At like one of those. I mean, they companies? colored the movie at Company Three, but he was like, he did all the like digital intermediate. Oh wow! Yeah, crazy. And I mean, he's just a genius, like bona fide genius. Um, and so all these different connections came from that community. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, I would say the movie is, you know, sort of like thirty percent USC, thirty percent Bad Robot, thirty percent Kansas City. Nice. Ten percent magic sure there you go (laughs) rad so uh, so i think um a thing that people oftentimes are challenged by is like being seen in a different light right oh like a hundred percent you're morgan jj's assistant right right and so like that's so different than morgan the director who's making a movie right so how did you uh cross that chasm you know 
I think mo I mean the projects that I've done so far have been either in another realm, like directing like digital food commercials, mm -hmm. or uh, directing my own feature film, which no one gave me permission to do. I just did on my own. Right. But I think that sort of having that ability and that agency to do it allowed me to be seen in that different light. Mm -hmm. So no one was like, now is the time for your transition. We sure. presented you with this opportunity. Yeah, yeah. And if you take it, you're going to be on the next plane. You know, yeah, it was yeah. like, uh, I, I just said, okay, I'm, I'm going to go do this now. Yeah. And they're like, okay, I guess she's doing that now. But yeah. So you've been there for it, six years. It was years. a lot easier, I think, than you make it out to be. Were you dropping hints the whole time that you were like also a filmmaker? No. You're like, I'll get that coffee, but just so you know. <laughs> I definitely <laughs> My wasn't. My thesis is yeah. pretty. You should move that <laughs> well, edit three frames earlier. I just mean, saying. I think that's, you know, it's a hard thing being someone that's very ambitious and working on my own projects and then knowing that there's not really a place for that, mm -hmm. um, you know, when you're trying to do your job. But, I mean, that that is the cool thing about the people there is that, you know, like one of my other assistants was an actress in a short that I made when I was there. Mm -hmm. So, there, you know, there's everybody is sort of supporting each other and there's a great sort of sense of community yeah um, but it is hard to balance that because you do want to prove yourself and you want to right. be you know seen in that light but really the only way to do that is to sort of go away and do it yourself I sure think. yeah no i think i totally agree which is why uh none of us have day jobs i think it's i mean i think it was valuable for that learning experience sure. and and i had to work to live in la you know i couldn't afford to just do that out of school i had to I needed a, a job. Yeah, of course. Um, but I, I think it's really wonderful that you were in an environment where people weren't, everyone was maybe so secure with their position and their achievements and brilliance that like it wasn't competitive. And maybe that's part of it, right? Because like everyone's been in situations otherwise where it's like, you know, they're like, shut up and low, don't talk about your directing right now. I'm directing. Do you know what I mean? Right. Well, I mean, I, I feel like, Maybe that that's a benefit of, of working somewhere where there, there's such a high volume of things that are going mm -hmm. on. It's like I only have enough energy to accomplish the task that I have to accomplish for that day. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and that's the hard thing about balancing your own stuff, too, is you go home and then you have to try and find that energy again, yeah. you know, or, or reserve some of it. Or I, I mean, I don't know. It, it's tough. Stop talking to me, Chewy. It's my lunch break. <laughs> Good one. So what's next? Well, I'm definitely angling for TV. I mean, that'd be incredible. Do you have an agent or a manager? I have a manager. And so, yeah, sort of starting that process. And how did you get your manager? I got my manager through a friend of a friend who had seen the movie at Santa Barbara, where we premiered in February. Oh, cool. Santa yeah. Barbara Film Festival? Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's an awesome festival. Wine. They have great wine there. Great audiences there. Yeah, very um, happy audiences. Oh my god, super happy audiences. I'll never forget we had we got one of the like coveted like additional screening slots, mm -hmm. and it was like eight a.m. on a Monday, <laughs> and it was raining. Mm, no, I was like, I thought <laughs> this was like this big thing we got, and then I get the time. On Saturday or something. I was like, what? Yeah. Uh, but sure enough, like the theater was like half full. Nice. Yeah. It was crazy. Uh, so yeah, they show up at Santa Barbara for sure. Nice. Napa Valley is a festival I went to where oh, yeah? people were definitely way more into the wine than the movies. Oh, that's yeah, so yeah. funny. They're like, this the movie parties. is great, but it doesn't have that lingering aftertaste I'm looking sure. for. <laughs> yeah, they're like, hi. I'm like, oh, I made that movie. They're like, oh, hold on. The wine's coming. How, like, how are the tannins <laughs> yeah, on that sure, film? Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, but yeah, so that, that, you know, hopefully TV and then I'm writing my next feature and 
hopefully going to see what see what happens. I mean, I feel like there, there's sort of three different versions now. There's like super independent, which is the way Different Flowers was made. Sure. And then there's sort of middling independent, which mm-hmm. is like up and coming production company, a little bit more liquid equity. And then there's studio system, you know, so. And the middling independent, is that your script or somebody else's? Uh, I, I'm just speaking generally, yeah. Like, um, oh yeah, you mean like that I... Yeah, what are you working on next? What's the next thing? Oh yeah, I, I'd say it's probably, yeah, middling independent to studio. Scalable. Sure. But I'm trying to think bigger, which is hard when you've been sort of self-restricting for so mm-hmm. many years. You know, I've, for so long I've been writing things that I knew I would be able to put together. And so it was sort of only writing like things that were, you know, like right. writing to your resources. Sure. Yeah. yeah writing to your Kansas resor- City. Yeah, yeah. Writing to your resources. At your parents' house. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. Shelley Long plays all the characters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's a, it's a one woman show really. Um, um, is there like a time limit? Like if nothing happens by a certain, in a year you'll just go make another movie or anything like that. that? I, that's kind of the internal timeline. Yeah, exactly. It's like if, if not, if somebody else doesn't, you know, pick it up and yeah, maybe give it a year or so. If it, if it doesn't feel like there's a lot of traction, then just go do it myself. And uh, I don't know if we ever got to, are you making money other ways? Yeah. So I, I direct a lot of digital branded content. Sure. Yeah. There you go. Um, you know, that's really a huge source of income at the moment. Mm. And then I'm starting to see returns from different flowers. So that's nice. Hey, great. Yeah. And how do you get this digital branded content job uh, you speak of? I have done a lot of free work for friends that now work at companies that employ freelance directors. So that's, mm-hmm. that's generally how those connections come about. Yeah. And so to get those jobs, it's mainly about your friends. It's yeah. not like you're showing them your reel. And no. Like... Yeah. I mean, I, I would love to know how to get more, you know? Um, I, th- I think that that's definitely a hurdle that is not easily surpassed you know sort of like how do you stand out from the crowd in terms of sure. yeah getting that commercial or getting that branded content or you know those gigs yeah I think it's, it's just an anthill right i think you just yeah. kind of like do more exactly and you get slightly bigger ones each time yeah how know? do you guys get your commercial work through your um, agents same thing yeah mostly that yeah. yeah uh yeah we definitely have gotten most of my work this past year just from a friend's company yeah they get a lot of work and they bring me in on some of it um, cool. Well, uh, Morgan, shall we hop into unpaid endorsements? Sure. Yeah. Unpaid endorsements. I'm excited about this unpaid endorsement segment. Can I do two? Yeah. Is that yeah. Allowed? Two is allowed. Yeah. Uh, I think the first one is a very practical one, which is fanny packs. I think you have to have a fanny pack. I am if a you're fan a director of, of weird film gear, so I think I like this. What do you, what's in your fanny pack? I think pack, it's Morgan? essential. I keep sides in there. I keep snacks in there, mm-hmm. chapstick, mm-hmm. sunscreen because I'm very fair skinned and mm-hmm. get sunburned all the time. Sure, yeah. I, get I mean, you. if you're really in a tight squeeze, you can fit your hat in there. If you don't oh, want to okay. tie it on your belt, I'm telling you, yeah, it's a lifesaver. You know what I'll throw in there as well, which you should put in your fanny pack, is a carabiner. Yeah, absolutely. I, I just what do you need this carabiner? A carabiner. I use. I'll clip my water bottle to my belt if I need to. Um, that's the main thing. <laughs> on this last shoot, I had one, and that was pretty handy. Yeah, I'm just like nervously just clicking everything. It. Well, I think for, that's the point of the yeah, carabiner. That's the point. And the fanny pack. Yeah, so you don't leave your stuff scattered around set, and you become the burden of the people around you. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. about being self-sufficient. I was at this production company the other day, and they're like, "Whose shirt is this?" And it was like 
some shirt I left on a set like two years ago. It's like, oh, that's yeah. what um, Like your sunglasses? Yeah. Or yeah. I wear glasses. You can put your glasses in there. Yeah, there you go. Uh, I'm serious. Yeah. It's, it's essential. I had a pink sparkly one I was gonna for, ask, what's for different color? flowers. Yeah, yeah. That was great. But I feel like I'll have a different one for each movie. Oh, you know? that's so then, fun. Yeah. Do you guys get home from set? And maybe this is more of a guy thing, but like I just like my pants are so full with papers, like various like shot lists. And well, that's where the fanny pack started for me was women's pockets are generally way too small to carry sure. anything. I mean, and I just can't hold anything in my pockets. I mean, and for a while I was wearing cargo pants, but then mm. I just yeah, they yeah. weren't really working. Yeah, um, it's it's very hard for me to find pants with pockets or any clothing item with pockets. If I find a dress with pockets, I'm elated. Oh, man. And so, yeah, that's that's kind of where the fanny pack originated. Yeah. So maybe it's more a tip for female filmmakers because guys have the advent have of having, pic- <laughs> you know, clothing that's designed for functionality. Yeah, but even cargo pants still no, suck. I, you know? yeah. yeah. Cargo pants suck, but I do think men's pockets are pretty... Pretty good. Yeah, they're better. But I've seen like <laughs> pictures of me from behind on set, like behind the scenes, yeah, and yeah. I have like all these rolls of like like rolled yeah, up scripts. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. you know, just you, also, you need to get a trifold. That that's like an eighty secret oh, yeah, that yeah. I recently. No, but where do you put this trifold? I I hold it. I hold it all day. But what if you're trying to show an actor like how they should I pick hold something it in my up? Hand. There's all these pictures of me with this trifold. I'm all about. I I would lose that. In I'm going to report seconds. back. I had a an endorsement a couple of weeks ago, the RoboCup, which is the cup holder right. that you oh, clamp to a C stand. Uh, you can put your C stand, or you can put a script in there. You can throw your phone in there. You can throw a coffee and a water bottle. It's all up for grabs. I think uh, this might be a one-two punch. Combo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm reporting yeah. back officially. You guys sell a kit. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, we'll make a million dollars. I'll promptly lose it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but in number two is just for uh, audio listening pleasure, Theme Time Radio Hour with Bob Dylan as your host. It's a podcast? It's a radio show that was broadcast maybe a decade ago now, but it's all available online if you look for Theme Time Radio Hour. It's incredible. It's hosted by Bob Dylan, so you've got this great sort of guide through all of these inc- like incredibly deep tracks that you'll some of which you'll be familiar some you'll never have heard they include clips um from commercials of the time or films and it's just perfectly woven and stitched together with his commentary and he ta- he gets letters from listeners and it's just the most amazing experience uh he has one for halloween which is perfect for well, you're listening now and for two weeks ago. Um, but he all, I mean, he's got a, I think he has a Thanksgiving episode. He's got, I mean, cars and alcohol and smoking and just anything. Uh, theme time radio hour. It's awesome. great. That sounds really yeah. cool. I'm going to drift a little bit off of Morgan's. Um, I really miss like movie soundtracks, right? When sure. we were kids, it was rad. We were like, oh, it's like a filmmaker is making you a mixtape, right? And they've kind of gone away basically just because like no one's buying CDs anymore. First of all, you can still find that stuff on Spotify. Yeah. Or like I realized finding playlists for those movies can be even better because typically if somebody's got a great soundtrack, there's a nerd out there who put together like a, a fully comprehensive version of like a playlist with all of those tracks. And so it's just as good and free. And specifically, uh, I've been really enjoying uh, the podcast Welcome to Night Vale. Do you guys know that show? Yeah. So they do this this segment called The Weather where they'll just play a song from a, a band. And so someone has put together like 
a weather playlist with cool. like all all of those tracks and so it's really eclectic it's really fun um and it's a nice way to kind of discover music again which oh that's is awesome like what was great about those soundtracks back in the day i love those soundtracks back in the day and so different flowers you know maybe to our budget's detriment has a ton of music in it um and i think I, I'm going to have to do that. I'll have to release a yeah. playlist. Yeah, yeah, release yeah. a playlist. There you go. That's fun. Totally. Yeah, we've got some really cool bands. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Yeah, so I'll also drift off Morgan. You mentioned you have to like hold your glasses on set and stuff, and this is something that I, I might have endorsed this before already. I apologize because I talk about this all the time, but I used to have that same problem. I'd like, always be like sweating, and my glasses would be falling, and I'd like, put them down somewhere because I'm looking through a viewfinder, and I'd lose them, and it's just like, such a nightmare and without my glasses i couldn't see anything anyway lasik it's just like so awesome <laughs> i didn't know you had lasik you didn't know i had lasik no man it changed my whole life on set honestly like because i was wearing glasses yeah. and it's like you know it's part of your look it's like you're you're sure, as sure. a director you're always putting stuff up yeah. to your eye you're always talking to people you're running around you're falling you're getting on the ground yeah. you're like it, they're just such a pain in the butt i mean they can look cool i guess but sure yeah but having them and then and you get twenty twenty vision, you know, that's incredible. It's, and it's not that expensive. Yeah, yeah. I had a friend who got it a coupon. It only really hurts wow. for like a few years. Just kidding. <laughs> it, doesn't hurt. it doesn't hurt at all. You don't even I'll, feel it. I'll say I I highly endorse the poor man's version of LASIK, which is daily contacts. Which for years I had two two week contacts. Uh-huh. Daily contacts have changed my life because you don't feel bad if you lose one of them because they're just the day. So, like, you'll be on right. set, you get dirt in your eye, you scratch your eye, your contact falls out. It used to be like, oh, my God, that's just like a week and a half worth of contact down the drain. Now it's just one day. No Is big it, deal. Wait, but can you see out of well, the Well, then you have your backup contacts oh, okay. or glasses or LASIK, whatever. <laughs> backup LASIK. <laughs> yeah. yeah. To me, uh, shooting lasers into my eyes sounds much better than putting glass on them. Yeah, well, I don't uh, think contacts are made it is glass pretty, It does sure, sound sure. pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. But I... I Laser I, vision. No, I'm just like... I couldn't I'm, my eyes contacts. are just watering like yeah. crazy thinking about the idea of wearing contacts. No, I tried contacts like three times. I just... I literally... Like, I would have to have five... Like, all my roommates hold me down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah I can't even put eye, eye drops in, basically. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. After the I, LASIK, I, I got good like at it. I like in fifth grade. I guess it's just... Just yeah, it's part of my life. Cool. Well, thanks, Morgan. Yeah. Hey, guys. Thank you for having me. If listeners want to learn more about you, where can they find you? Uh, they can find me on Twitter, Morgan Dameron, or Instagram, Morgan Dameron. We didn't talk. I can't believe I buried the lead. Instagram? Poe Dameron yeah. is named after you. Yeah. Who's Poe Dameron? Oscar Isaac in Star Wars. Oh. Yeah, he's named Poe Dameron. He's the best he, pilot in the galaxy. He's the best pilot in the galaxy. That's fucking awesome. <laughs> hey, thank you. I'll take credit for it. Did you get paid for that? Like no. billions or just millions? <laughs> no. It's just the, the fame and the glory. Sure, sure. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. It's crazy. Sorry. Anyway. <laughs> oh, yeah. If, well, it, yeah. If, if listeners want to uh, find out more about me or Different Flowers, differentflowersmovie.com is our website. Our mm-hmm. Facebook is Different Flowers Movie. As is our Instagram, and on Twitter we are different flowers. D I F F R E N T flowers. Different. Differentflowersmovie.com has it all. It has it all. Perfect. Well, you can find out more about the show on Twitter uh, at Just Shoot It Pod. Uh, on Instagram, we're going to take a picture in just a second. Uh, same handle at uh, Just Shoot It Pod. You can check out our show notes, all the stuff that we talked about on Just Shoot It Pod. Dot com and you can follow me at Mr. Matt Enlo. Oh, and you can follow me at Smitey Pileg. And uh, this episode was edited by Jay McAuliffe. Our webmaster is Ewan Williams. And our music was provided by the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. 
Catch you next time. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.